the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is Lucy Chamberlain. She's head gardener from East Donnellan Hall in Fingeringhoe. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from bees to agapanthus and quince. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex. Lucy, it's a warm welcome to the programme. We've had a bit of a wet week. I think that's an understatement in the middle of the week, wasn't it? God, blimey, haven't we, Ken? My oh, goodness. did rain. Yeah, <laughs> Wednesday was just uh, rain, rain, rain. I think rain. we worked out we had something like 80 mil of rain lot, in one day, which is absolutely crazy. So does that affect our garden much? <laughs> and if so, do we, or do we just march on and get on? I think um, where I garden and where I live, we're on really sandy soil. So in that respect, we could get onto the ground fairly quickly after that Wednesday downpour. And not business as usual, still have to be careful not to um, compact the soil. But if you're on the clay soil, which uh, I know just down the road from us in Aberton, it's only half a mile away, they're on really, really heavy clay. That makes it hard work, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. So if you are on heavier clay, then do allow the soil to dry thoroughly before you walk on it because you could compact it and cause problems then with... Um, squashing down the soil Just and roots, damages it yeah it? exactly roots can't penetrate the soil there's no air in the soil it does cause problems so if you can just um, lay off the soil for the moment but on my sandy soil the weeds oh my goodness the weeds have been Growing growing man, ridiculously they? and i look after um a big garden just outside fingering uh east donnellan hall as long as well as my own garden our sandy soil is great for free drainage but it's also the most perfect seed bed and that's great for when i want to sow my veg out um but also the weed seeds once they germinate in there oh my goodness they grow so quickly so my main tip for this week would be keep on top of the weeds as best you possibly can if it's too wet for you to hoe then what I've been doing, because it's still too wet in places for me to hoe, is digging them in. Just literally get a spade on our sandy soil. It doesn't take me 10 minutes to dig over a bed. So instead of hoeing, which is just not going to work in this wet... They just, just re don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly, they do. So I just literally turn them over, bury them at the bottom of the trench, dig them in. And that's a really quick way of... It's a bit spit and sawdust, because it's mm. not as thorough as hoeing, but it does the job and just allows you to keep on top of those weeds. Talking of which, the rain, we mentioned it on Wednesday, a lot of damage it's caused. And in fact, um, I've been working on some rose beds this week. And you can guess what, they were David Austin, big full heads and what mm. happens to them in the rain? It actually breaks a lot of the stems mm. and you have to take the whole stem out. But it, it's a good reminder that it, keep on top of deadheading because if you've got a really full, nearly going over head of roses and it rains, it damages the stems and then you lose all the buds around it, which is such a shame. And the other thing, if you've suffered with black spot and you haven't sprayed right through the season, you'll find there's a lot of dead leaf on the floor. Well, on the floor, in fact, on your flower bed. This needs raking up because it's got the spores of the uh, black spot in it. Rake them all up and clear that away at the same time as deadheading. So always, when you're deadheading, rake out the bed as well, just with a plastic rake or something like that. Yeah. Just get rid of all those leaves. 
keep your beds clean. You can use leaf blower, can't you? I think because you we've, we've got a mulch, over, we've got you? like an organic mulch under mm. our, all our rose beds, and raking means that you Rake it, it gets all tangled up. So we, I think, if we used a leaf blower, would you just, think? Do you think that's a good idea? Will yeah, that on work? over, you can just blow it across, yeah, can't you? Yeah. If you've got one, not everybody's got one. No, that's it? true. That's true. Um, a lovely job that I had yesterday. I sat on the grass in the sunshine with my puppy next to me, and I picked some sweet corn. It's just starting to um, ripen where we are. Uh, and there's all these um, sort of like rules and things that are spouted out in the garden magazines about when to tell that your sweet corn is ready. You know, peel back the sheath, look at the kernels. Push your nail in. Push your nail in, see what colour the sap is. I don't push my nail in. Why do I? I don't want to do that. I don't want to damage my cobs. They, they, they look absolutely perfect. And you can so easily see when you peel the outer layers back really carefully, you can see the colour of the kernel. And that to me is what indicates whether the corn is ripe or not. And also the colour of the tassel, that's the silky parts that pop out of the, of the, the, top, the top of the cob. So if those are turning dark brown, then you can think, right, okay, my corn's nearly ready. I'll peel back the outer layers. Have a look. If they're cream or white they ain't ready leave them a little bit longer if they're just that lovely butter yellow they are ready if they've gone too far they'll be golden yellow and, and, and starchy, starchy and horrible so oh by that point you've missed the window so so check your cobs regularly and uh, pick over the 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 block of, of corn um you know for a fortnight keep looking keep going back pick them at their absolute perfection if you get a glut put the whole thing in the freezer don't even have to peel the sheath off just put them in the freezer and they'll be fine. It's interesting because I was up with Andrew Toakley from King Season. He's a great vegetable grower. In fact, he won an award for his uh, plot in his area, uh, which was rather nice. Yeah, but yeah, I said to great. him, how do you tell? Do you peel them back? And he said, no, 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 I don't peel them back. Exactly the same as you said. No, yeah. don't want to damage your cob. No. He said, you can tell. He said, when they go brown... Yeah. He said that is an indication they're right. That he said it. you shouldn't have to worry about doing anything else to them. No, my so dad was. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we used to grow uh, corn commercially to sell. And do you think we've got time to peel back the sheaths and have a look and <laughs> shove our nail in there? But every single no, wait, you get your eye in, and you can, like you say, you see the colour of the tassels, and then if you want to, you can peel back the sheath and have a little. And they're ready. But, yes, exactly. Now bedding. That's taken a bit of a bashing as well. Oh, yeah. So go over it very carefully. I've talked about deadheading roses. You need to deadhead your bedding. And I think it's something that um, you mentioned uh, earlier on, is it's a shame that uh, we're now looking at winter flowering bedding yeah. coming into garden centres, whereas mm. actually, if they did cheap and cheerful bedding at this time of year, so a, bit like. of Lobelia, a bit of lobelia, a bit of Alison, a <laughs> bit of French marigold. Just to poke in the holes that have appeared. You, yeah. could, you could actually do it. So, mm. in fact, it's too late to sow your own now, so too late for anything, really, but it's a thought for a future year. You could sow a second crop of... Very simple annuals that yeah. are quick developing, and then you could fill up the holes. But if they're dying back, hanging baskets and things, trim them back with a pair of scissors and encourage new growth, like petunias get leggy and horrible, don't they? Yeah. And in fact, lobelia, you can cut lobelia back and get regrowth from the base, can't you? You can do, yeah. So do yeah. those sort of things, but keep deadheading, because if not, your flowers will stop. And also the flower, the seeds will go gungy and you'll get rots as well due to the rain so keep deadheading the bedding and enjoy that bedding right through the summer till the frosts yeah one thing that i've discovered that my puppy loves to eat mm -hmm. is uh windfall plums oh very nice too. <laughs> but it's just a reminder that the all the plums and the gauges are ripening at the moment it's the time uh, isn't yeah, it yeah i've already picked my peaches at home uh the apricots have come off the tree and the nectarines cherries have been picked quite a long time ago but essentially all those fruits that i've mentioned they've got a stone in the center so they're called stone fruits 
And all those fruits need to be pruned in the summer, mm. not the winter, because if they're pruned in the winter, they become much more vulnerable to bacterial canker and a, dis a destructive fungus called silver leaf. So they don't, don't get pruned in the winter. Summer pruning is the way forward because the wounds heal over very quickly because it's nice and dry, in theory, and uh, the plants are actively growing. So again, the callus material, the wound tissues within the plant develop very quickly and that cut will heal over nicely very you very don't quickly paint them over no people still ask me about that do i Should need to paint? never paint no. them over not anymore that's gone out the window it has it? it was old school ditch it yeah but your plant like i say all those fruits as soon as you've got the crop off the tree prune them back if you want to if they're trained up against a wall or you've got them in the pot and you want to keep them small that's when you can prune all the current year's growth prune it back to maybe two or three inches from where it originated large tree standing trees you don't need to worry you can just watch them grow and grow and grow but if they get too big and you want to reduce them in size again now is the time to do it so now that's a good tip from lucy so now and the most important thing is don't make gardening hard work do it when you can when you got time and enjoy it. Yeah. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Let's have a look at some of the gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we're going to be starting, yes, it's 15th of August, 2 till 5, Dragons at Boyton Cross. Chelmsford is open to raise money for the NGS, Plants Woman's Garden, three quarters of an acre well worth going to have a look at. On the 19th of August, the Matching Charities, uh, that's a charity farmer's market, Village Hall, fresh local produce from farmers and producers, you know, meats, meats, eggs, cakes, all that sort of thing. Going through to the 19th of August at 2 o'clock, uh, and that goes through till 4.15, the Ardley and District Horticulture Society, they're hosting the Ardley Annual Show, that's at the Ardley Village Hall, that's in Station Road in Ardley, open to the public from 2 with prizes presented at 4.15. And there's plenty of classes to feast your eyes on, vegetables, fruit, flowers, dahlias, all that sort of stuff. Not forgetting cookery, as well as refreshments, are available. On Monday the 21st of August at 8pm, Billericay Horticult Society have a tour by Paul uh, Sprackling, and that's an introduction to exotic gardening. It's at the Day Centre, Chantry Way. Visitors are very welcome. Um, let's look also at the end of August, the 26th and 27th, uh, also, the Monday the 28th, which is a bank holiday, St Nicholas Church in Great Wakering is holding a flower festival. Uh, there's also one at uh, Coggleshaw. There's a Coggleshaw flower festival on the 26th of August, right through to the Tuesday. Uh, so there's plenty going on in your county. So there are some of the events around the county. Don't forget that you can let us know of your event. We can get more people along to them. And it will be on the podcast of the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. Send me details to Ken Crowther with a couple of weeks' notice, either by email or send them along by post to PO Box 765, Chelmsford CM29XB. And a reminder of that email address, ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Coming up next, myself and Lucy will be answering your gardening questions. And we're going to start off with Kay in Canvey Island and her silver birch. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Um, 
I went to a small established garden, beautiful garden, two years ago. I had two silver birch. I now only have one. The other one's died. At the back of my garden, there's um, another house, and they've got a beautiful silver birch. So I just wonder what, what I've done or what's happened. Well, my first question is, um, when silver birches dies, did you ever prune it? No. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the worst thing you can do to a silver birch. And how old did you say it was, Kay, when it died? Well, I don't know. I mean, the house has been here more than 20 years, but... Um, so quite a mature tree. I've been here two years. Yeah, Age. I would think so. Yeah. Birches are quite short-lived, the, aren't they? They are very oh, short-lived. Are yeah. Oh, oh. I mean, occasionally you get one that's stood there for centuries yes but it's yeah. rare yeah they often get um bracket fungi and decaying fungi which makes them unstable but the tim um their, their timber is very soft and it mm. rots for quite readily so it might just be as i say that the tree got to the point where it you know and, yeah yeah, yeah been I've around for a few decades questions. have you got time for this yeah go for it come on Kate. I have, um, a synosis syn- syn- and that's half dead half good I think I'm going to have to have it out, but when's the best time to do that or, you know, to chop it down? If you're taking the whole thing out, you can do that whenever you like. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that's no problem. If I need, if I decide to cut the half that's bad and leave the other? Again, it's probably better to do that sooner rather than later because you don't want whatever's causing one half of the ceanothus to die back into the other half. So really, if you you could do it, you know, this weekend or or Mm. next weekend, then that would be great. Yeah. I'm not doing very well with this, am I? But I really need to plant some more roses because the roses are beautiful. And when is the best time to do that? Oh, well, see, the roses are doing well. That's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, when are you planting roses where there were roses or are you planting roses in new positions? No, in, in where they were. Right, so you need to be careful because they get a thing called rose sickness. Yeah. We really oh. need to add something, don't you? Yeah, you, you can do. get over it, can't you? You can change the soil in that area. Um, say if you've got another the bed. The roses that... were fine. Well, actually, it's a, uh, the church garden. I wanted to put some extra ones in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would think even though the roses there were fine that you took out, I, I would still, as a matter of course, change the soil, um, add lots of hole. organic yeah. matter... Yeah, and also nowadays it's recommended to use a mycorrhizal uh, product, which is basically something called like root grow. Um, a lot of ro- yeah, a lot of rose nurseries will sell this as a, a given, um, and you sprinkle it in the hole when you're planting your roses, and it's a, ba- a, a it's a beneficial fungus that coats the rose roots in its fungal growth, and it actually helps the rose to be more resilient. So um, that's worth looking into as well. But the time to be doing all this would be not now. It would wait, wait until, say, uh, late September going into October. All right. Oh, right, lovely. Thank okay. you very much. That's oh, Kay from Canvey Island, and we go to Ray, who's just up the road in Chelmsford. What's uh, up with your lawn then, Ray? Oh, hello, Ken. Hello, Lucy. Uh, yes, I've had a problem with the lawn. It's been ongoing for two or three years. Um, I... What it is, I get biggish brown patches all over the lawn. Um, Now, first of all, I put it down to the dryness, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I look after the lawn. I cut it regularly once a week. I aerate it. 
I put lawn fertiliser down two or three times a year, plus the autumn fertiliser. Yeah. And yet I get these these brown patches. Now, when and you say brown, I, do they um, die out and go completely dead? Yes. Yeah, they do. And occasionally they go a black, slimy thing when it rains oh. a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. It's like what I did slime. do two years ago, I bought some quite expensive Provado lawn grub killer. I don't think it's available now. No, it's not. No, for leather no. jackets, yeah. <clears throat> and for, yeah, crane flies, daddy long yeah. legs. And, and I did that about August, two years ago. What's your soil type, Ray? really helped. What's your soil type? The annoying thing is, both my neighbours' lawns who, what shall I say? Do nothing to them at all. Right, okay. But they're full of weeds where I've got no weeds in my lawn. Ray, what is your soil? Is it clay or light soil? It's, um, what shall I say? It's. Uh, not too clay, it is clay, but it's not it's very light. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and you mentioned earlier on in the conversation slime, the the slime, which could be a slime mold, a kind of it's a kind of algae, and it makes the grass very slippery in the wet. But mm. then it also causes it to die out in patches in drier weather. Like. And yeah. I wonder if it's that. Just also, Ray, you say you feed the lawn. You're not overfeeding it, are you, and causing the lawn to scorch off in places? No, no, because no. There are lovely green patches. <laughs> In you know, in most places, but yeah. there no, but are, are use... quite large brown patches. Are you using a spreader or doing it by hand? A spreader. Okay, that's okay. all right. So it should be fine. Yeah, I yeah. think it's um, I think it's worth that slime the mold. slime mold. Yeah, yeah. Now, no well, treat. Not it... no. I don't think you can treat it with fungicides, as far as I'm aware. Um, you could spike the area to alleviate any compaction and use yeah, your hot, yeah. your aerator in the autumn again to um, to aerate the soil because slime molds tend to be encouraged by compaction Heavy, yeah. and and dampness and that sort of thing. So that would be what we would prioritise there. But and then I don't think there's any. Overseas. There are some treatments you can get for certain lawn fungi, and I wonder if it's worthwhile Ray trying some of those. In the autumn, I think there is one on the market, Ken. I'm not um, mm. that amateurs can buy. I can't think of the name at the moment, so that would be worth trying too. But at the moment, just spiking it will actually help, won't yes. it? And yeah. then overseeding. Yeah. Yeah. But look out. Go to a good garden centre and tell them that you've got this. Um, it's slime mould. Yes. It's called. It's yeah. a lawn problem. Uh, we're not sure whether there is anything for it. We think there isn't, but it would be worth asking. Mm. And if anyone from a garden centre is listening and knows the answer, you can come back and let us know. Morris from Lee, I'm moving on. Uh, tomato plants, Morris. Oh, good morning, Ken. Yeah, I've grown about 25 tomato plants in the garden. They all seem to have, I don't know if you call it a black leg, uh, the stalks have started going black and the, the fruit on the... The plants, the tomatoes, are all going brown and blueberry oh. skin and dropping off. Oh, Morris, now, I, there's two things that this could be, and I'm hoping it's not the second one. There's there's a problem that tomatoes get called blossom end rot, which is yes. where just the base of the tomato fruits goes black and sunken. Um, mm. So it could be that, but it might also be... Um, there's a devastating fungus that tomatoes can get called tomato late blight, and that causes the stems and the leaves and the fruits to all go sort of mottled and brown very, very quickly. And it's encouraged by wet weather. So do you think it could be blossom and rot? Is it just the fruits going black at the bottom or is it more general and the plants are getting badly attacked? Uh, yeah, it 
could be because the, the the whole of the tomatoes are, as I say, they're getting like a blistery skin and they yeah. just drop off and I have to throw them out. It does sound like blight. Like, we know when the young fruits of yes. blight get damaged. Well, yes, <coughs> they're yeah, because the distorted. blisters would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there Morris, is a bit uh, of blight about, but there's not a lot, is there? To cure it. Well, sadly, Morris, it, there, there's not. This is why I was hoping it wasn't going to be that because there's nothing now that gardeners can do oh. to control blight. But in future, the blight's encouraged by wet weather, and obviously we have had quite a wet summer um, yeah. recently, and that's caused um, infections to flare up. Next year, you can grow some resistant tomato varieties to blight, or if you have a greenhouse. Yeah. Greenhouse tomatoes are much better than outdoor tomatoes at fighting blight because they're kept drier. Um, but I grow a, a outdoor tomato called Furline, which is really delicious. It's a large beefsteak tom, yeah. and that's got blight resistance. There's oh, Lazetto, right. Lozano. Uh, there's one that crops early called Subarctic Plenty. Um, Red Alert is another early cropper. So basically scour the seed catalogues this autumn and look yeah. for the tomatoes that either say they crop before blight strikes or they have blight resistance, and then you should be fine. Oh, but great. but but just cross check on blight. If you, are you a person who uh, looks on the web as well? No, I'm not. Okay, well I think we're pretty certain you've got blight from what you're describing, and really you can pick some of the green fruit. They're they're quite safe to eat. Any fruit yeah. that is there is safe to eat. Yeah. But you need to get rid of the plants because yeah. in theory it could spread from your plants to your neighbours or people down the road. And also, if you grow potatoes, Morris, it yeah. could spread to your yeah. mate, your potatoes. So oh. that's why you've got to get rid of it. And it's not putting it on the compost heap or in the green waste. It's actually putting it in your black bin. Okay. Oh, oh well, I haven't got any potatoes, but it's just the tomatoes that are all affected. Get rid of them. That's yeah. what I say. Let's yeah. move to John in Holland on Sea. Hi, John. Hello. Nice to speak to you at last. Anyway, I've got I've taken up that point with the gentleman with the brown patches. I've yes. got the same on my lawn. Right. But, uh, I have a man come round four times a year, so he'll sort me out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got a contract with another, someone who's and does he, my lawn. does he get rid of your brown patches? No, I, I got, it seems to get every year this time. And what yeah. he does, he aerates it, and then they mm. go away. Yeah. yeah, they go away with aeration, and they come back again, don't they? <clears throat> that's right. Mm. Well done. Anyway, what can we do for you, sir? Well, that's the first thing. The second thing... I'm toying with the idea of buying one of these electric weeders. Are they worth buying or not? And would they get rid of moss? Electric weeders? Yeah, you um, aim it at the plant or the weed and it kills it, it burns it off. It burns it off? So not a So it's like, a, a, it's a, flame like gun. a flame gun, but in an electric right, one. And it's got two different heats. They're about £40. Is it worth buying or should I carry well, with weeds? Killer. We have no idea because we're looking blank at each no, other. I haven't used we've one We've never of those. tested or used them. In theory, oh, in theory, in theory, anything that burns a weed off will kill it. Yeah, as just long as it's as a, a weed killer will. Yeah, as long as it's an annual weed. If it's one of those perennial weeds with a long taproot like a dandelion, then mm. you may find that it's not strong enough to kill off those sorts of persistent weeds, or say ground elder or bindweed. But um, we haven't got the experience no. of it, so we don't oh, know. We no. No. We've never used one. <clears throat> must never use one. So I tell you what, we'll ask anybody out there if they've got an electric weeder or heard of them or used them, and then they can let us know. What do you reckon, I'll John? Tell you where I saw it in the Wales <coughs> magazine. She gets every fortnight. Yeah. I can't mention the name, can I? No. But no. it's in that magazine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it goes out fortnightly. <laughs> okay. In the last month. <clears throat> Lovely. John, thank, thank you very much. 
<laughs> Thank you very much indeed. And we go back to the phones and talk Black Spot, which uh, there's a fair bit of Black Spot around this year. So, Keith from Hortwell, what would you like to know? Hello, Ken and Lucy. Um, yes, I've had a lovely display of roses, mm -hmm. uh, but every year I get this dreaded Black Spot. Um, what I've resorted to now is taking off leaves as they go with black yeah. spots and get yeah and go yellow. Yeah. Is that the best thing to do? It's one of it's it's a method, yeah. but you want one of which you don't defoliate the rose because oh, the rose no, needs do that. needs no. needs needs <laughs> to grow. Keith, can I ask, are you an organic gardener? Or are you happy to use in um fungicides? I'm happy to use sprays. I have used a spray in the past but it didn't seem to have much effect. Right. Now I think this is one of the problems. People and I'm not being rude to you, but people expect a spray to cure what is there. It does not cure what is there. It's actually the spray goes into the rose plant and all the new growth should, and I put should with an underline, come clean. And generally it will. With things mm. like rose clear, that is the idea of what happens. The old roses you can pick, the old leaves you can pick off or they'll drop to the ground. Um, and you can do this several times a year. You need to start so early, though, don't you? When yeah, do you start? You do. Well, so I, uh, we have a lot of roses that I look after at East Donald and Hall. Yeah. And um, as soon as the leaves have emerged and they've started to toughen up, that's when I start so to spray. So you're talking about early March, I, aren't you? I, I have to do this every three or four weeks. We're a very sheltered garden, and um, the roses, there's lots of old roses there that haven't got the resistance that maybe some of the more modern varieties mm. have had bred into them. And I do have to spray. I use uh, multi-rose, which has yep. got... Um, another one. Yep. Uh, it controls against mildew and as black well. spot yep. and rust, and also aphids has got an insecticide mm. component to it as well. So in that sense, it's obviously not organic, but it does um, keep the roses completely clean and there's not much there's a couple of things that claim they're organic and can help but they won't clear it as easily as i mean basically they're sulfur based there's some yeah. sulfur based yeah. cures but they don't cure it as we've just discussed you could make your own garlic solution couldn't you because that's the sulfur That'll help but it yeah. won't actually clear it will no it, it won't I'm ha i have to be honest the organic in this instance, the, the ones I've used that are organic, like a garlic spray, yep. hasn't been as effective as no. the multi-rose. And because we've got so many roses... You want to keep them clean. We need to keep them clean. So, so, Keith, does that help you understand? Yeah, so spray every two to three weeks. Yes. Yeah, and you'll find the recommendation is less than that, I'm afraid, But if you read the packets. But we didn't tell you to do it more <laughs> often, did we? Um, and But your cleanliness is so important. Get rid of all those dead leaves because they've got spores on them and the spores will then move on to the plant for next year. All right? OK, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's Keith uh, giving us a call about Black Spot, and we now go back to Chris from Chelmsford Blueberries. Is that right, Chris? That's right, yeah. Like a, an early blue variety. Yeah. Um, just asking when and how to prune, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, not necessary. No, I, I mean... I would say firstly. <laughs> my, my answer is always it's not necessary. Right. Yeah. What would you say, Lucy? Well, you can you can prune to blueberries to shape them. Um, they crop on older oh, growth. Last year's um, growth. Last growth it? and the and the growth. Um, so maybe growth that's two, three, four years old. So you don't need to prune them extensively, say as you would um, uh, a black currant or a raspberry or something like that. So you can leave them as a freestanding bush. Yeah, they so sometimes the, grow long sprigs, don't they? That's Lucy? what I was going to say. You've got, you've got two things that you want to take out, Chris. You've got the very short 
twiggy growth at the base, which often bears fruits and then the fruits dangle over the pot or get dirty or close to the ground. Those mm-hmm. ones can be taken off and often those growths are quite weak as well and not very productive. And then as Ken says, every now and then when the plant gets, gets its roots in and gets gets go- growing, it will throw up a massive, big, strong, vigorous stem mm. that's totally out of balance with the shape of the rest of the bush. And that can be pruned in the early summer when it's developing, prune back to a leaf bud or a side shoot just to keep it in balance. Um, yeah, so so that's the main pruning that you do with blueberries. And then every um, when your plants get established every year, take out the oldest growth quite low down to the base. Um, so maybe one stem in four, something like that. Uh, lovely. And uh, one very another quick question, if I may. Yep. Um, we've got some Jazzy, J-A-Z-Z-Y potatoes. Yeah. Grown in bags. Um, they haven't actually bloomed this year, but are they okay to... Uh, Use the, use the oh, doesn't have to, a potato. Potato doesn't have to bloom to be to produce the potatoes, does it, Lucy? No, it doesn't. Do you know, I ate some jazzy in the week. Yeah, I, I went to a trials day, and they said that jazzy was very good in containers, and it was delicious. So, um, and those ones are, are, are cropping now. So, put your hand down in. Put your hand down into the compost and feel for the potatoes. That's what we do. Yeah. Yep. And go for yeah. it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. And enjoy okay. them, Chris. Thanks very much for your help, then. Okay. That's a pleasure. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Jean from Chelmsford, uh, you're talking about tomato blight, aren't you? Well, I think it's blight, but I'm not certain. That's why I want your expert opinion, please. Tell us the symptoms. Uh, Outdoor grown, I've got a windbreak round them to try to protect them lower down, but the bottom of the stems are going brown, Mm. and it's working its way up. And the fruits are going brown around where they join the plant. Okay, so at the top of the fruit. Yeah, the yeah, top yeah. Of the fruit, yeah. Not the bottom. No, so Jean, you, you probably heard me earlier on talk about mm. blossom and rot where it's the bottom of the fruit. So this if is this the is top, the top, then um, it's. And is it quite an irregular marking, the, the sort of browning where it's happening? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like blight, sadly. Um, and uh, we have had the, the weather that would attract blight um, fungal spores to germinate and to thrive so um, again as Ken mentioned earlier to the previous caller it's worthwhile looking on the internet to see just to, to confirm yeah because trying to dis- describe the symptoms over the, the phone and on the radio is difficult but look at some visual pictures um, on an internet search just to confirm because the advice we're going to give is to get rid of the plants and pick off any fruits that maybe are just starting to ripen and lay those in the sunny spot to see if they can actually ripen before they get and damaged. And make green chutney with the rest. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because some that I picked that were starting to ripen looked okay mm. and I put them to one side and yeah. they actually started to go brown at the top when they were they off will. the plant. Uh, no, yeah. if blight yeah, that is does in happen. it, that will happen. Yeah, it can. Sometimes you get, you're lucky, and that's why we always say if you can mm. pick off some of the fruits and see if you can ripen them, because some will get to ripe, ripening and you can eat them, but others will ex- show the symptoms after they've been picked off the it plant. It does sound very much like blight it does. to me. Yeah, does sorry, it, Jean. It does. Okay. Um, right, let's. Uh, Dave from Sunny Clacton. Bamboos, we're talking. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, that's right, Ken. Uh, Ken, all it was, um, I've had some bamboo uh, in the past, which we uh, really like, but it's become so invasive and it started popping up in next door's garden, etc. Some do. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm looking, I've got another border now, it's about 12 foot long, and I'd like to put some bamboo in, but is there a non-invasive one you could recommend? There are are two types of bamboo, Dave. You've got the ones that you have, which is the invasive one. We call that the runner, a runner style of bamboo. 
And then you've right. got others that we call clumpers. And any right. good bamboo nursery will be able to tell you the difference Which between way? the two. And some of them are attractive colours. Some have got stripes on them, some are black. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can get some lovely coloured bamboos that are non-invasive. Exactly. But that's, that's oh, the term. Right. I say runners and clumpers is what I would uh, call them. And the runners are the ones that you want to avoid. Um, right. And it's the clumping varieties that form a very tight clump and don't send out many runners at all that the ones that you want to, to grow because they're, they're not invasive, as Ken says. Right, OK. A guy in the nursery the other day said about you could plant them in pots, but I thought, well, as they get a bit bigger, how do they sort of feed themselves, etc. if yeah. they're still in the pot? That's one of the runner ones. The, one of the recommended methods is that you keep them in their pot to try mm. and stop them running, but they still will run because the root will come out the top of the pot or out yeah. the bottom and will yeah. still run. Um, it's not as ideal as that. if you're going to no. buy a new plant then I would actually go for a clumping one you can right. grow the runners in pots but as you say they get congested um, and they can escape the pots so it's not as ideal as buying a clump forming bamboo from the start and you can yeah, also right. just another thing about bamboos is you can buy landscape fabric and you can actually put it at the back of the bed to stop it going into next door I mean there are there are ways to slow down. I said slow yeah. down. You mm. won't stop it, but slow down these invasive bamboos as well. All right. right but I've got to look for the clumper. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And Any then you'll good be garden centre will sort you out on that one. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Thank you. Uh, Dave from Clacton, and we're going to go back to tomatoes. We're going to talk to John in Chelmsford. Hello, John. Talking tomatoes again, aren't we? Oh, we are, that Ken. Um, morning to you both. Um, I've got a plot over at Gallywood, mm -hmm. and um, my tomato plants have been absolutely decimated by tomato blight. Yeah. Black on the stems, tomatoes are deformed. Yep. I'm in the process of putting them into black plastic bags to dispose of. That's the right thing is, to do. Yeah, that is, John, yes. And as I mentioned previously, you can um, counteract blight next year by growing varieties that have resistance to to the fungal problems so um check the seed catalogs you're, you're going to say what i was thinking totally though. that's why i said have expect yeah. they should have resistance and but that, they're not resistant if no. that makes sense and I'll, I'll explain why um the trouble is with blight it has different types of blight yeah and they all got different numbers yes and it means that they'll develop a tomato that is blight resistant against certain blights but then if another one crops up It'll decimate yeah. it again. But what Lucy's saying is right, is that there are several on the market that are very, very good and are worth growing because they're mainly blight resistant. Yeah, yeah. But as you say... the blight... I didn't want people to go out and then say, ah, but it's still got blight. No, exactly. Because it happens, it, doesn't it? it, it it's, a, it's a fungus that mutates. Yeah. And then you get a new mutation that no, that no tomato is resistant to. But it's, um, yeah, definitely worth try resistant ones. And also... Uh, if you have the space and the um, and you can afford one, John, at greenhouse tomatoes, Mark. do do yeah. avoid blight. All right, John. Yeah, this packet of seeds that I got was from the Gardener's World. I would have thought that that might have been. Uh... No, you, it doesn't. It's not it a given. Follow. No, no. There are some lovely varieties out there, and um, but read the packets carefully. Yeah, that's what you have to do. Always read the packets carefully. Um, 
I'll quickly mention this one text. It's uh, from Hillary in Bradwell on C. I have an Escalonia hedge which has gone very straggly. Can I cut it with shears or prune it? Yes, you can prune it pretty hard. Yeah, you can. Do They're quite now, forgiving, aren't they? Actually, and it would grow through, wouldn't it? Yes. That would work quite well. So they are. That's one for you. And we're talking to Christine in Burnham about a bee's nest. Is that right, Christine? That is Ken. Hi to you and Lucy. Hello. Um, yes, I think I've got a bee's nest in my shed. It's a disused shed not far from my house. And when I was working within feet of it the other day, I just noticed that bees were flying in and out of a hole in the bottom of the door. Many and of I just them? I wondered, do they represent a threat or can I leave them alone? If they're not harming you, you can leave them alone, yeah, can't you? I would do, definitely. Definitely no, because not, they, they won't swarm or they don't, you know, they're not going to. If I, so I have to walk by there to sort of go down the garden and I you, didn't know whether okay. they. If it's, an, could be a problem. if it's an area that you walk past a lot, do bear in mind that if it's if it's a bee's nest and it gets big, then yes, it may have a breakaway, which would be um, a, a swarm queen going. A, yes, a swarm. a swarm. So so bear that in mind, and you might want to give um, a, a local Bee- beekeeper a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've and got just, a local beekeeper. Yeah, yes. exactly, and they and they can easily come away and uh, sorry, come and along and, and remove it for you. And it was definitely bees, not wasps or anything no, like that. Definitely. Okay. I think if they're not doing me, you know, they're not they're not bothering me. And I thought no. well, if I can leave them alone, I wouldn't want to harm them. No, you know, but, if you're um, not going in your shed and they're not doing any harm, leave yeah. well alone. But they're in the shed. No, they're no, no, if you're, you shed. aren't. No, if you're not going no, in not, and out of no. the shed. Yes. Yeah. No. No, will they disappear? Will they go after a while or do they stay there permanently? No, no, they, they will disappear. Yes, yeah. yeah. They will... Um, when the winter comes, most of the bees will um, will die, die off and the queen will, will stay and then probably disappear um, in Next the spring, spring. To, to, to start a, a new colony elsewhere. OK. That's an interesting one about bees. Veronica from Springfield. Agapanthus, aren't they looking good this year? They're looking wonderful, most of them. But I've got one set of agapanthus. They're called Silver Moon and they haven't put any flowers up this year. Is that just this year, or how old are the plant? How long have you had the plants? Quite a few years. Hmm. I've got one flower on one of them, but I've got three of these plants, and I'm just wondering whether do I feed them now? Do I split them? Are they in the ground or in the pots? In pots. Okay, and um, it may be that they've got to the point where they need to be divided if they're old plants. Um, or as you say if you've not been feeding them feed them with a high potash liquid fertiliser and you could do that all this month and even to, even into early September because agapanthus are quite hungry feeders and they're a plant that they like to be congested in the pot yeah. so they flower better but they don't want to be really pot bound there's a sort of very happy medium there's a window where they're, they're not too young they're not too old they're just right and that's when they flower very well so if they're either very young plants or they've got very congested then that's when the flowering problems can sometimes start. Right. So feed them with the tomato... Yeah, tomato fertiliser would be absolutely great. And just, let's say, have a look and see if you think they're very congested. And if they are, then in the autumn, knock them out of the container, slice them in two or into three, repot them into a lovely, uh, like a loam-based compost, like a John Innes-based compost, because they do like a a loamy soil. Um, And they will be happy in that position and again keep feeding them with potash through the spring and summer of next year and we go straight to amaryllis with john from brentwood amaryllis john tell us more morning ken and lucy well this is about 10 or 12 years old the main one lovely and i've sent you a picture i don't know whether you can see them at all in the email 
No, they haven't come through. Ken Crowther at bbc.co.uk. When did yeah. you send it? Just now? Five, ten minutes ago. No, it hasn't. Oh, not... if it's oh, a bit... Yes, no, <laughs> I've got hydrangeas but I'm from, from Roy and I've got Roger's um, Metasequoia, but I haven't got yours. How funny. Oh. Maybe if it's a large file, it's taking a little yeah. while to come through, John. Tell what... us more. No, it was about six, six megabyte. that was all. Tell us more, anyway. Right. I've got this thing's about 12 years old, something like that, and it's quite big, massive, like an onion. And it's also got another three on the side. The leaves are about a foot high, quite healthy. Yep. And I, I, when's the best time to split them? Because there was last year they all flowered. Yeah. And there wasn't room for them all. They were all mixed <laughs> up. Um, John, I would wait till the bulbs go dormant. Um, so are you going to start reducing the watering of your amaryllis now to um, to give it a rest period before then maybe repotting it in the autumn? Um, well, I haven't. I don't water it that much anyway, to yeah. be honest with yeah. you. You could stop watering completely and let it dry do. down. Lay, the, lay the pot on its side. <clears throat> Um, oh, lay should, it on its side. Yeah, yeah. that also, if it, say if it rains and it's outside, it just stops any any water getting uh, to the bulbs. No, it's in the kitchen, actually. In the kitchen. Okay, well, that's great, because then you can now reduce the watering. It will naturally die back. Because yeah. amaryllis, amaryllis do like to have a rest period in the late summer going into the autumn. And oh. then, in, then in the autumn, you repot them into a fresh uh, pot of compost. And that's the time when you can actually split those divisions off. You cut them off or pull them off or... They'll probably pull off easily. I'd be, yeah. I, by the time it's dried out, yeah, yeah, you'll find that if it's dried out, they'll probably actually snap away quite easily from the these, main bulb. These are very big. They're almost the same size as a mother plant. Great. Yeah, no, that's lovely. That means, they, like you say, they're going to be flowering size straight away and you've said they're already flowering, so that's fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah, um, so let it, once it's dried off, then it should be easier to separate the bulbs apart. They are. They're sorted, sorted that out. And Bob from Braintree, Cardoons, we're talking, Bob. Hello there. Hello, Ken. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Bob. <laughs> yes, I was in um, London last Saturday. Yep. And my eye, my, I, it, it fell on this triffid like <laughs> plant that was growing in somebody's garden. It, it, I was awestruck by it. Anyway, I knocked on their door and asked them the name of it, and they told me it was a Cardoon. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I bought one a couple of days later. Right. What I want to know now is I might be moving in a few months. Can this beast live <laughs> in a pot? Oh, mm. it can temporarily, Bob. But mm. I wouldn't want it in the pot for when you're a moving? long time. Oh, it'd be a couple of months. That's all right, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How big is the plant that you've bought at the moment? Oh, you it's say tw- it's about twenty inches. It's it's a young one compared yeah. to that one I saw the other yeah. day. Yeah, no, that'll be absolutely fine. Absolutely be fine. fine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they do make fantastic plants. We've got some in the borders at East Donnellan Hall, and they are massive. Incredible. Absolutely massive. I believe it. I, I thought we'd land them out of space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what is the um, the growing medium for it? Um, if you were going to. Obviously, we don't want it in the pot for too long. You want to get it in the ground in a nice sunny spot so with free-draining soil. So for the moment, compost. yeah, anything, as Ken says, just any to, to, just to tide, you, tide you over for a couple of months. Yeah, it won't be in, the, uh, in there for more than a couple of months. No, no that's, that's fine. So anything, anything, anything will be fine. Anything will do, as they say. Uh, Jean and Canvey. Hello, how are you both doing? Hope We're fine. fine. Anemones, yeah. yeah? Yes, I bought one the other day. I saw one, anemone whirlwind. Mm-hmm. A little white one. Lovely. Is it a clump forming an enemy? I mean, I'm not very lucky with enemies. I've got one in the front garden, which yeah. has started to flower this year, a little purple one. Um, but I've got very clay soil on canvas. It's really heavy. Yeah. 
Would and you're thinking it's going to be spread. So are you worried it's going to spread or are you worried it's going to get no, waterlogged? No, or? I love it to spread. I like, yeah. I like it all crazy. Yeah. But, um, I just wondered, if it's a, is it a clump forming one and what's the best thing to do? I mean, it's a young flower. It's only in a pot at the moment. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so whirlwind. Is, I think is one of the it's what we call the Japanese anemone, mm. isn't it? So yeah. it's flowering in the like from now and through now to through the autumn. autumn, right through to the yeah. frost, yeah. isn't it? Oh, and it's they, really pretty. Yeah, 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 very attractive. And on if your clay soil is very heavy and gets waterlogged in the winter, it might be worthwhile adding some compost or some composted yeah. bark or something like that just to improve the drainage or even some grit as well. Oh, uh, great! Well with that. Yeah got that i can do that yeah. okay darling yeah. thank you very much indeed that's gene from canvey island uh, right i'm going to do an update now for everybody on these electric uh electric weeders the weeder just plugs in and then delivers a thermal shock to the weed it destroys the plant cells and the weed is destroyed in seconds um basically it heats up to 600 degrees centigrade and this information it's made by hose lock and oh, it? it has this information has come from our good friend trevor at alton garden centers they do sell them but they haven't flown off the shelves and he hasn't sadly got anything to tell us other than they're not cheap but he has not had no complaints from the people who have bought them so thank you, Trevor, from yeah. Alton Garden Centre. Uh, that's really what we wanted to know, as we personally haven't come across them at all. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Talk about bamboos in containers with Maureen from Leon C. Hello, Maureen. Oh, good morning there. Um, I've got several bamboos in containers, mm. um, and as you were saying earlier on that they're quite rampant growers yeah yeah um, do i therefore need to feed them or would it be better to withhold feeding them well, how, i don't want what, to promote them into any more growth than they would normally are they looking healthy at the moment maureen or are they looking like they're yeah. a little bit look okay yeah. they look okay yeah mm. um i mean any ultimately though plants if they get very congested um, yeah. and root bound then yeah. they would benefit from either being lifted out of the pot in the autumn and split and divided and repotted mm. or as you, uh, and then add some fresh compost there which will contain some nutrients to tide them over or you yeah. could use a, a liquid fertilizer and i'd use something like grow more yeah. because you don't oh, need right. a, you don't need a high potash liquid i thought it was yeah no you can i use mm. liquid grow more yeah i've got liquid grow more and liquid uh, potash and they're the two f feeds I use a lot of um, yeah. so because bamboos aren't obviously sort of uh, grown for their flowers and fruit they're more for their leaves that's why the grow more is useful because it's got a lot of uh, nitrogen as well as other elements in it so okay, I would I, I would use that um, yeah. and yes you want you want to I think you want to maintain a happy balance because you obviously don't want the plants to be too vigorous but at the no. same time you don't want them to be looking sickly so no. that's why I would use some grow more. And if they look very congested, then just split and divide them in the autumn. Moving on to Ian from Morden, talking about my fav one of my one of my favourite trees, a walnut tree. What would you like to know about the walnut tree, Ian? Oh, hi there. Yeah, I've got some lower branches that I'd like to cut off because I keep stooping under them yep. when I go down the path. Yep. But when's the right time to do it? Because they bleed a lot. Today. They? Yeah. Today. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'll lose the walnuts. 
Well, that's <laughs> up to you. But the best time you did ask us when the best yeah, time to prune the best time to prune walnuts. True, is, is midsummer. In the summer, yeah. In summer, yeah. They oh, so bleed. Right. They'll bleed like mad, as you quite rightly say. Yeah. Um, and you will lose some of the walnuts, but that is the best time. Some people prune them in winter, but it's not advisable because diseases get in, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, when the plant's actively growing, it heals over much more quickly. So that's what we would do. It's, it's purely a decision, but now is the best time, Ian. Uh, going to go on to Sue from Billericay. Hi, Sue. Hello, Len. What would you like to talk about? I've got one of these garden gear weed burners. The, do you mean the electric ones that we're talking about? It is, yes. Have um, you, I, think, have... I think we bought it from an advert in the Daily Express. Yeah, lovely. And it plugs the... in. Yes. Um, it's quite easy to use, but you do need a bit of patience. Um, we've got a block paved drive that has lots of tiny weeds on it. And all you do is stand upright with it and okay. you just hold it over the weeds and it sizzles them. Okay. Um, can you actually hear it sizzling? You, move on. you can um, hear it sizzling? It is, it is. I mean, I've got a bad back, so I can't bend over to pick the weeds, but this is good. But you do need patience just to work over the area gradually. So, and, you, um, yeah. But it is, it is good. It's just, uh, I think once you've done it, then you just keep up with it. I can see a few weeds on our on our patio, and I'm thinking I need to get that out and get get to them. But, so it runs um, with a cable or battery? It's a cable. Okay. Um, but it's, as I say, it's easy to use. You just switch it on and off and you go. go. For it. And it's got a little stand that okay. you, when you finish with it, because it's very hot. But um, ours is about... 34, something like pounds. So, um, but it, it is good. So, I can recommend it. Sue, so, thank you very much indeed. That is good to hear from you about um, about things like that. Because if not, we don't know. We've we've been saying what it is. I'm going to go straight to Paul from Thaxted. Hello, Paul. I just Hello, wanted Ken. to finish off with discussing bamboos again, aren't we, Paul? That's right. Yeah. It's only it's only a quick question. Yep. What would you um, like? My neighbour's got the invasive type. Yep. And it's all coming up in my garden now. Just started mm. this last this last year, I suppose. And you wanted to know what to do. You want to know whether to get rid of it, how to get rid of it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've put some Roundup on the young ones, and it seems to have knocked them back a bit, but there's still yeah. others coming up. Will that actually go back to the main plant, though, Lucy? Well, it will do, but I don't think it would ever harm the the main bamboo plant because they're quite vigorous. So you you could carry Cut on doing that. Cut and dig, and then Paul. treat new stuff with brown. Is that what you do? Yeah, and also um, it's obviously on a boundary with your garden, and yeah, yeah. you as we mentioned earlier that you can get like an industrial like a lino or even paving slabs, sink those down the side of your fence, and then the, that will stop yeah, a lot I of the runners coming through. It. I've no? got a shed in the corner, and that's on slabs, and it's sort of. I'm with I'm you. Even, I even had one bit come up through the site, you know, through the boards of the shed. I think, well, then, in, our answer is, Paul, what you're doing is possibly the only way forward. Yeah. Would, would SBK be better around that? Uh, <laughs> worth it's, a try. Yeah, I haven't tried SBK on bamboo, so, but it's, it's more, it's, it's supposed to be better for more woody plants, so you could give it a go and an experiment and see, but um, either or would be the only option, really, if you can't get to dig to, to out or put a barrier down. Just likely uh, to quickly do the Metsukoi Dawn Redwood. Um, a gentleman called Roger from Clacton Sea has bought a large Metsukoi. Mm. Um, he sent us pictures of it. It is not very happy. It is a large one. 
Um, it is near the coast and getting sought as well. Yeah. Um, all we would say is, I mean, what would you say? It's just not happy. It's, it's dying not happy. Back, it's dying back. It? I think when you buy a large tree, it's difficult to get them established in your garden anyhow. But we're also thinking that the metasequoia would not like salt-laden winds. So it might be worth going back to the garden centre and seeing if you've got any comeback on that because I think they said that it would be okay and mm. we don't think it would have been. No, it likes damp, moist conditions yeah. and seasides are generally drier. Yeah. with drying winds. Ruth from Rayleigh. Hello, Ruth. Tell us more. Yeah. You're on the move. I hope you're not moving out of Essex because then you can't oh, listen no, to no, us. no, I'm not moving anywhere. No, <laughs> no, what it is, we've got an average-sized garden yep. and we're going to be having an extension. Oh, right. So the, which is going to take up almost half the garden. Now, the architect has said to me, you've got to strip the whole garden because it will get trampled on and ruined and, and you know, all the um, roots and everything. But I freely admit I am clueless. I do not understand about the names of any of these things. But it's it's all basically very, very um, long, long-standing, you know, old, um, hardy shrubs mm-hmm. that, that are there. I don't know, because he's, I'll just get rid of the lot. But financially, I don't really want to start from Right. Scratch. OK, well, I don't, know your bu- I don't know who your builder is, and I hope he doesn't rack on my door. But basically, if a builder's doing an extension, he should be willing to fence off an area mm. of your garden that is not touched by he or his contractors. Right. So if you have a valuable... If you've got a flower bed that is within, say... I don't know how many metres, but gives him enough room to work, you should better get him to put a plastic fence around it and say, I don't want anybody to go on that bed. That would be my first thing, I would say. And secondly, when's the building work being carried out? We're not sure exactly, but it, it probably, um, I'm guessing here, September, October, according to when he can start. So could I could say we've got another worry. We've got a very, very, very dense bush. I don't know what it's called full of sparrows and I feel wretched but that is the nearest to the house which has to go. We can't worry about that particularly, they'll find somewhere else but also you could move plants at that time of year, yeah, couldn't you Lucy? you could do, you could do um, that's, a, if they're very old it might be difficult but if they're quite young then you could move the shrubs in the autumn, maybe temporarily put them in pots and then once the extension's finished put them back again but yeah, I would agree with Ken, I think they're putting a lot of responsibility on you because obviously it'd be a lot easier for them to have a completely clear garden but I don't think that's very uh, affair. Ruth, mark it out where you want them to go and see that they've got enough working space and that is they're going to be their border. Do that. If not, change builders. <laughs> um, go, Jim from West Norwood. Hello, Jim. Blackberries hello, we're yeah. talking, aren't we? Yeah, hello. Good, uh, good, good morning. Uh, I was wondering if you can help me. I've got problems with uh, Blackberry. I wonder if you can help me what I can put down so I can kill it. Oh, so you've got blackberries growing and you want to kill the plant off. Just to Yeah, because it's growing between the fences, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah. We mentioned a product just in the last call, I think, with uh, SBK Brushwood Killer, which S- is... S-T-K? S-B. S-B for Bravo and K for Ken. Yeah. Uh, brushwood Killer. And it's very useful herbicide for woody plants. And that's oh. what we'd recommend you use. And just follow the instructions on the packaging. Um and yeah, that that will knock the brambles on the head for you. And if uh, if is, if they're well it, if they're well established, cut them back and get new growth. They're better uh-huh. off treating the new growth than you are old growth. Right. Is it safe for animals? As soon as it's dry, when it's dry on the plant, it is safe. All right. Thank you very much.
That's a pleasure. Jim, we don't want to upset any um, animals or or hedge sparrows or anything like that either. Barbara from Corringham. Hibiscus. Indoor or outdoor, Barbara? Outdoor. Okay. What would you like to know about it? I've had my hibiscus uh, since uh, 2010, but it's come from my daughter's house. Yeah. Mm. It's been lovely. Large, uh, it's got a purple flower. Um, when it went woody um, this last year, we... Uh, it, a friend cut it back, but I think I took more off the bottom than I did on the top, so it's quite... But I've had another one come up next to it, and that's a white flower. Oh, OK. So maybe but it's suckered. It's so near grafted, the other one. Mm. I'm a summer bit gra- con- no, some are grafted, aren't they? Please? It might well have been for that to have happened. But you're, you're worried that they're going to grow into each other too much, are you, Barbara? Or? Yes, and th- this small one... Uh, originally, um, we had two, but one died. So when I saw this one shooting up, I thought it was that that had come back after all these years. Yeah. But it's growing, and it's growing right in front of a rose, which is very woody, and I don't think there's a lot of life left in it. Okay. But I was concerned, like, if I should move it and when. I, I would. It sounds like it might be a sucker from the yeah. original blue flowered. So hibiscus. try moving it. So you can still use it, can't you? Yeah. When you get, get wait till October, when it will have developed a decent root system of its own, you can then sever it from the main plant, dig it up, and move it somewhere where it can have more freedom to to grow and not be squashed out by the other blue flowered plant. Okay, uh, Joe from Bradwell. Hi, Joe. Hi. Uh, I think it's just in time to say good morning. <laughs> yes, you are. Five minutes to go. Yeah, the question is, uh, we last year we bought a quince, and it's like a bush. We bought it for the flowers, really, but this year we've got 26, 28 quince fruit on it. And Impressive. We're not sure. Yeah, that's what we thought. We're not sure <laughs> when they're ripe. Right, well, firstly... Are, about the fruit. Hang on. Firstly, are they in clusters, heavy clusters? Because if so, you should thin them. No, they're separate. It's right, like a fine. Bush, really. Yeah, and are we talking about... Individual. The and they're genuine sh- quince. They are... It's the Cydonia, as opposed to Shinomalies. I wouldn't have a clue. Is what, it a what, tree? Is it a f- the only thing is I can tell you that uh, when it flowers, it's got a very nice deep red... Ah, oh, well, that would be a Shinomalies. That's Shinomalies. Yeah. That's yeah. an ornamental. OK. Right. Ornamental, not eating. Uh, they're not poisonous. You no, can... they're not. They but they would make they some kind of quince much, jelly. But they, you, to make the classic quince jelly, you're talking about the tree called Cydonia, which is entirely different to Shinomalies. So, okay. yeah. That's so fine. you can make yeah. jelly from them. They're ornamental. They look attractive. You know, they're yeah, fine. That's it. All right. That's what we bought it for, really. But you still haven't told me when they're ripe. They will be. They'll be ripe towards, well, actually, the end of this month. They normally go like a golden yellow. They normally go like a golden yellow colour, Joe, and that's when you can tell that they're ripe, and it might be quite late into October when they do that. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, Joe, enjoy it, because then then it flowers in the winter and makes a lovely show. Chris from Tiptree. Hi, Chris. Hi. I've got a hydrangea. I want to move it from a smaller pot to a bigger pot. Yep. When can I do it, please? You could do it now if you wanted to. You can. Yeah, because they're potted as opposed to being in the... Because it's in the pot as opposed to the ground, you can right. repot it up into a larger container yeah, at any, any, time, any time of year. Oh, you can? Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Even though it's in flower? Yeah, yep, that doesn't you matter. You won't hurt it. doesn't matter As long as you keep watering it. 
long as I keep watering it. Okay, lovely. Thank you for your advice. Thank that's you very a much. <coughs> that's a pleasure. Uh, you're listening to the gardening phone in. I've got an email here talking about hydrangeas from Ray. I have hydrangeas in two large pots, three foot diameter. Both flowered since had them. Five years. This year, only one flower head looks healthy, but no flowers. I'd prune half of it back, would you? Yeah. And get some new growth. Yeah, but not too hard. But not too hard. Yeah. Is that good advice on that one? Yeah? I think so. Ken and Lucy, <laughs> uh, do you know if electronic devices work on keeping cats away or anything else that may work? Uh, Rob, um, the only one that's worth, that I believe is, is Cat Watch. It is specific for cats, isn't it? Is that the one that yeah. emits a sonic sound? Yes, sonic sound, yeah. and it really does work. So they are. That, that's something that you've got to think about, so that's a good one. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the gardening advice, tips and events, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex.